We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. We got a breakdown podcast today. It is uh, Sunday afternoon as uh, we record this, taking a little break from some NFL football to talk about Oregon's uh, 38-7 to loss to the Utah Utes on the road in Salt Lake City. Joining me uh, on, on this podcast, we got Ducks Digest reporter Nick Batty. And, I mean, wow, there is, uh, there's a lot to talk about in this one, uh, Nick. I don't, I'm, I'm wondering where you think is a, a good place to start. Well, um we could just start maybe by talking about, you know, they just, they weren't ready to play. They never really showed up to the game. I feel like um, worst. It's probably the worst loss of Mario Cristobal coached Oregon football four years. He's been here uh, all things considered. And uh, there was, there's no positives to come from this game. There, there was really nothing. So um, maybe we just kind of go down the line chronologically of how everything unraveled, but uh, yeah, there's there's not much positive uh, news from this game. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, we're definitely at a loss for for positives right now coming from from this game. We haven't had to do a podcast like this, you know, all year, right? Except for that that Stanford game, um, but just you know, coming out of the gate, they they just looked flat. They weren't able to get pressure on on Cameron Rising. I feel like that was a huge part of the the defensive you know shortcomings. Um, ever feel like every time he needed to pass, he only threw eighteen passes. I think it was ten for 18, 178 yards was uh, his final stat line. So nothing overly impressive coming out of uh, you know what we saw from Cam Rising. But he he looked composed. They didn't turn the ball over. And I, I think that that was a, a big reason that they were able to be so effective on offense. Um, and I mean, the, the third down defense, we could go down that road. I don't know if you wanted to, maybe we could start on defense just because that's, uh, you know, naturally where we just started the conversation. Yeah. Uh, third down defense has been an issue for Oregon all year. Uh, in fact, one of my keys to the game pregame, was to try to get off the field on third down. Oregon coming into this game was 89th uh, in the nation of, of uh, getting off the field on third down. And uh, it turned out that it was one of the worst performances, uh, I think, in, in Tim DeRuiter's defensive coordinator career, maybe the worst. And 
11 of 14 Utah was on third down, just uh, atrocious. Uh, I mean, a lot of them were run run plays too, which is normally Oregon's defensive strength, but they were just unable to do, do anything on third down. It was pretty shocking to see um, considering, especially running the football, that was supposed to be what Oregon was priding itself on defensively, being able to stop that, and they were not able to do that at all. Yeah, third down conversions, 11 for 14 is what uh, it came out to for Utah. And um, I think a lot of that, you know, just comes with, you know, what Mario Cristobal was saying after the game, just they were not putting them in, in difficult third down situations. You know, you look at the past couple weeks against uh, against the Washington schools, UW and Washington State, putting them in, you know, third seven, third eight, third nine, you know, fairly long, you know, downs to gain. But a lot of the times we saw them, you know, third and five or third and short. And then with the way that they were running the ball, they just were able to, you know, hand, hand the ball off. They were outfit. They they were just physically dominant. Uh, Utah was on both sides of the ball. Tavion Thomas had a career day. I believe he had over 200 rushing yards uh, in this one after uh, not playing against Arizona. 21 carries. Okay, no, he didn't have over 200 yards. Sorry. Um, the team, Utah as a team, had over 200 rushing yards. Tavion Thomas, 21 carries for 94 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, I think he set the the Utah record for rushing touchdowns in a season. So credit to him. I mean, he he just balled out. But yeah, he's a dude. I, yeah, he's he's for sure a dude. But it just I feel like maybe with the exception of one or two drives early in the game, everything came really easy for for Utah, and they they dominated the time of possession too. They just took the air out of the ball. And then when Oregon's offense was on the field, they just they couldn't do anything. Yeah, uh, offensively, you know, there are just so many things wrong. They weren't able to run the football, and I think part of that might be because once they got down, you know, twenty-one nothing, twenty-eight nothing, they needed some some explosive plays, and they tried to get that through the air. But uh, Travis Dye, Byron Cardwell, uh, even Ant- uh, running Anthony Brown they were not able to get anything going uh, for the most part on the ground. Um, I believe it was under 70 rushing yards uh, as a team, something like that. And, uh, and just passing wise, Anthony Brown threw behind receivers often. He he did connect sometimes Devin Williams, Chris Hudson um, wide receiver room all of a sudden is super thin. I'm sure we'll get to that in a moment as well, but yeah, they're they were out of sync offensively from the get go, and they never never got anything going. Never, they had one good drive, but that was really it. I, I feel like you know I was seeing some fans talking in the the post game show that I was doing with Dylan about uh, abandoning the run game, but when you get down like that, you're kind of your hands are behind your back, or you're, they force your hand that you gotta you gotta try to air it out, and it just. You know, it showed how one-dimensional this Oregon offense is and really has been all year. And they, they couldn't run the ball. And when that was taken away from them, they were put in that position where they had to, uh, you know, throw the rock. And, and it wasn't it wasn't happening for them. I think that we were talking earlier, Nick, at the top of the show, how there's very few positives. I think, you know, to his credit, Chris Hudson had a really nice game. I think that he was probably the only positive that could maybe be taken out, at least offensively, from from this performance um, looking uh, looking to get his stats up on the screen right now. Uh, four catches on eight targets for uh, 96 yards uh, along of 50 
with 2020 with 22 yards after the catch. So Chris Hudson obviously is a guy who's going to be relied on a lot uh, moving forward here. I think we could get to that. Um, let's talk about that, Nick. You know, just how different this wide receiver room looks, even from the start of last week, right? Um, you know, Micah Pittman's departure obviously really hurt them in this game, given the fact that they were without Johnny Johnson the third. I had a feeling that he wasn't going to play uh, heading into this game, but Jalen Red's absence was a complete, um, you know, completely out of left field. I feel like there was there wasn't really an indication that um, he wasn't going to be available or that he was hurt or anything. Um, so. It's a it's a tough it's a tough deal for the Ducks to to be put in that situation because I was excited to see a lot of these young receivers in action, but um for them to have to get thrust into action in this situation when the the depth just gets paper thin, um you know in the in the blink of an eye is is obviously not ideal. Yeah, no question. And, and just to step back real quick, uh, what a shame it is that you know we won't see Jalen Red and Johnny Johnson in Oregon uniform again. These two have meant so much to the program over the last four or five years, and uh, to see them not in the their their Oregon careers the way I know they would have liked uh, is really tough to see. And so that's that's a real bummer uh, from that perspective. Uh, but then going into this game, yeah, I mean, look, Devin Williams obviously. Uh, extremely talented, and and the freshman Oregon uh, has Chris Hudson, Dante Thornton, Troy Frank, Franklin. They're all extremely talented and, and can be starters on this team. But uh, to all of a sudden go from a, a super deep room to a very thin room, uh, going into your biggest conference game of the season like this, it was a lot um, to, to overcome. And, look, there are many issues with this game. Oregon would have won. I don't think with, uh, you know, a full wide receiver room that they had a couple weeks ago, but it certainly would have helped. And uh, it's a real shame of just how everything unfolded this week. Uh, it really didn't help help the team at all. Yeah, you, you know, you talk about Red and Johnson, you know, Crystal Ball saying after the, the presser and the postgame presser that um, their seasons are – are finished. They're not going to be able to return this year. So with them, you know, being those super seniors that that came here in seventeen, um, we're not going to be seeing uh, them play anymore. So uh, that's that's definitely a tough blow. Um, and then and we saw a little bit of Cardwell, uh, seven carries on offense. And I mean, he Anthony Brown too. I mean, this was probably one of the the shakier performances that we saw a year from the offensive line. They just didn't didn't have a, a good games. Three sacks for Brown. So he was getting hit quite a bit, you know, and they, uh, they were getting, getting bodies on him. And, and when he, I feel like even when he was standing tall in the pocket, he was hesitant you know, quite a few times. You know, I, I feel like he was pump faking a decent amount. Um, and it's like, I just let it fly. But as w- I think the weirdest thing from this game is that they were just so, they were totally dominated on both sides of the ball, but because the running attack wasn't there, we saw them. I, I don't know if it's for the first time this season, but they threw for more yards than they ran, um, which I think is pretty bizarre. Uh, 231 passing yards is what uh, Anthony Brown finished with, 17 for 35, compared to just 63 rushing yards. So I think that tells a lot of the story that the the Oregon offense was just asked to do what they haven't had to do for, for much of the year. Um, and there was something else that I wanted to add. Um to that just kind of on that last point but yeah they're just uh and oh anthony brown was also having to to run out of the pocket quite a bit uh or just 
maybe he did it a little bit early when he didn't have to. So it's just, you know, kind of like we were talking about, I feel like we've, we've kind of hit on the points already on, on offense, as far as what's there to, uh, to take away, you know, offensive line was getting dominated in the trenches. So that kind of just made everything even harder after that. And then all the, the mixture of new faces that we saw um, at wide receiver, obviously, like you said, it's a lot to ask them to, to step in uh, in a huge game like that. So the, we're gonna have to see how they can kind of progress here and then move forward. Um, and maybe we could talk a little bit about defense and then kind of shift Nick. I know what we talked about um, maybe just kind of looking, looking ahead, right. There's, there's obviously some, some big picture stuff that we can get into here with playoffs and, and kind of postseason, but um, maybe some final thoughts on offense. And then we could talk a little bit about the defense. Yeah, uh, just some final thoughts on offense. And I think it's also worth uh, with how the game went to, to touch on the special teams aspect of things a little bit. Oh, for sure, for sure. That, that was that was an area where, you know, Utah really separated uh, themselves in, in this game. But, yes, yeah, just some final thoughts on offense. Um, yeah, definitely a, a, a lackluster performance, uh, to say the least, from Anthony Brown. But – uh, he, I, it, I think it is worth mentioning that it, he does seem like he's playing a, a bit banged up right now. He, he had, he got tackled there in the first half, uh, kind of got rolled up on a little bit, and we didn't really see him run as much after that. I don't know, you know, how uh, much that might have affected him. And he, I, he also mentioned, he, you know, he's been dealing with some other uh, nicks and bruises. So, not trying to make an excuse for him, but. He, he definitely is. Uh, I don't. I definitely don't think he's 100 percent at this point in the season. So, you know, he's he's doing his best out there, and we'll see where things go from here uh, with the quarterback position. But uh, yeah, I think that's that's just my final thoughts from the offense there. Yeah, I and mean, then just to to kind of wrap that up, I think I remember the point that I wanted to make earlier. Um, you know, it, it was nice to see him pushing the ball down the field. I feel like this is one of his better downfield passing uh, performances, but clearly it wasn't enough. And then I think since the quarterback is obviously such a big talking point for so many people during the post game show, one of the points Nick that was brought up is, does it make sense to, to keep Brown as the starter, you know, moving forward here in the rest of the season? I think that that could be a cool area to kind of dig into um, and, and get your thoughts, you know, as far as, you know, you look at what's, what's ahead for this team, you know, big picture, obviously you got Oregon state next week, got to win that game to get a, a spot in the Pac-12 title game you know, that game, if you get there and then whatever postseason bowl they get to, but next year you got Georgia early and Anthony Brown's not going to be here. So I think that's another dynamic that the staff kind of has to juggle. So where, where do you kind of stand on that with uh, the quarterback moving forward this season? My stance is that if Anthony Brown is healthy, he should be the quarterback. You know, I, I don't think it's fair to the seniors who are on this team to kind of play for next year when you've still got a Pac-12 championship and a Rose Bowl at stake. Uh, I mean, that's still a successful season by most accounts. Obviously, you know, not being able to make the college football playoff now, it, it hurts a lot. But, it, I mean, Pac-12 championship, Rose Bowl, you know, for, for a team as young as this team was coming in, uh, I think uh, they, they'd they be happy with that coming into the season. So, uh, you know, I, I think you, you play your best cards. And clearly, when he's healthy, Anthony Brown, I think, is, is the best option for Oregon at quarterback. And, you worry about next year, next year, you have a, you have a full spring yet. You, you have, you know, a fall camp to, to deal with, you know, the quarterback situation next year. And uh, I guess at this point it looks like Ty Thompson would be that guy next year, but uh, if he's healthy, I would go with Anthony Brown, but 
I, I think health could be a question uh, this week. You know, I, I don't know how healthy Anthony Brown really is. So that'll be something to monitor. But if he is healthy, I go with Anthony. Yeah, he was definitely taking a, a lot of hits in that Utah game. And I agree with you. I mean, as much as it'd be cool to see Ty Thompson, I know a lot of fans really are calling for that change. Um, but like you were saying, Nick, to your point, the Pac-12 championship is still within reach. A Rose Bowl is still within reach. So it doesn't make sense, I feel like, to, to make that change right now. Um, but, you know, the, the thing to kind of take a big picture is I feel like to look at this team, the, the way that the season started and just how high they were flying after that Ohio State win, that felt like a playoff victory in September on the road, down some of your best defensive players. And then now it, I feel like uh, the mood between the mood am, amongst the fan base for a lot of people is I feel like some people are thinking that a Rose Bowl would be a disappointment. And it's because we've seen flashes of that greatness, that playoff greatness. And I think a lot of fans are just, you know, that's the expectation now is that they should be going to the playoffs. Yeah, that's a fair point. I was more talking about prior to the season beginning. Uh, I don't think many fans were uh, very optimistic of their chances to win in Columbus. And sure, once, that sure. in Colum- once that one in Columbus happens, sure, uh, you know, expectations do change. But, uh, you know, going into the season with with uh, as young as the team was, uh, you know, that's that's more of the point I was making. Okay. Yeah, no. And that that's that's a totally fair point. I think, you know, with how young the team was and given how oh, how banged up they got, you know, I'm not saying that injuries are an excuse here, but just taking in that into account and seeing that they're still in this position, I think is a positive that can be taken from this season so far, given how young they are and a lot of guys are getting some valuable experience for for next year. So, obviously there's going to be a lot of returners coming back, but um yeah, I think a Rose Bowl would still be great. A Pac-12 championship would still be great. But I, uh, I hear those fans that that want that want the playoff and feel like that's a reasonable expectation to have, especially with the the level that they've been recruiting at, um, and that we've seen some flashes of of big time play here, um, especially this season. Um, yeah, and that's one other thing I, I mentioned. You know, the level of recruiting is elite, but I think everyone agrees, and Mario would agree as well that the depth is not where it needs to be yet. And I think we're seeing that right now. I mean, the injuries have just mounted up here and, you know, they were playing Triquas Bridges at safety uh, in, in this game tonight after Veron McKinley went down. So, you know, well, they're still hanging in there and still, you know, only have two losses on the season. I think uh, everyone agrees that to really build this program up to become a, a you know, real playoff contender, they need to need to build more depth in this roster. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, with the, with the way that they're recruiting, there's still a lot of work to be done in that regard. You got to keep going at, at a high level, at a high clip. Um, and you need to be more or less in that top five territory year after year after year so that you can get that depth. You can get more freshmen that are coming in, looking to take jobs, capable of taking jobs and being immediate contributors. So, um, yeah, you're spot on with that point that the depth isn't there just yet. But from a recruiting standpoint, they're clearly trending in the right direction. We, we talked about some needs along the defensive line um, with Thibodeau leaving after this year. So that remains a, a need. Um, they have that in the 22 class, you know, they have Halton and, and Sir Mel's Ben Roberts, but they, I think they are still looking for that pass rusher to, um, help, help kind of, uh, alleviate some of the, the drop off that might come when, you know, Thibodeau leaves. So maybe we can talk a little bit about the defense since we're talking, uh, I was talking about pass rusher, but, um, before we go super big picture, maybe we could, you know, bring it back around real quick and just talk about the defense, uh, against Utah. Yeah, and we, we mentioned it at the start of the show, but, you know, I it just for me, it comes back to to failing to stop the run and uh, the lack of stops on third down. You know, that really was was what uh, stuck out for me, especially the third down stuff. I mean, that's just demoralizing for a team and, and a defense to, you know, get 14 third downs, get to the third down 14 times, but then allow 11 conversions that just is backbreaking you know you're on the field for longer than and you're still not getting off the field that is really hard to come back from and you know hopefully Oregon is going to play this team again uh on the first Friday in December and if that's the case they're going to need to have a completely different mindset uh of getting off the field on third down because whatever it was last night it was not nearly good enough the, the third down defense obviously wasn't getting it done, um, but they were also put in some really tough situations by the offense, right? Since they're not, they're not scoring, they're not sustaining, you know, long drives. Look at the time of possession here, Nick. It's 24 minutes and 33 seconds for Oregon compared to 35-27 for Utah. So, you know, Utah was obviously 
that physical team that Oregon has brand, you know, tried to brand themselves as being able to, to pound the rock with Tavion Thomas and some other, some other running backs, but that, yeah, that was really tough. You know, I don't want to repeat too much of what you said. Uh, Verone McKinley's injury, uh, we didn't really have any uh, update there um, in the press conference from, from Coach Cristobal after the game. But if you lose him, I mean, that's obviously just another huge hit um, to, to the depth in the secondary. Um, we saw you talk about seeing Triquez Bridges out there at safety, moving back to the position he played in high school. We saw Damon David come in and play some safety after, um, after McKinley got hurt. Um, so that would be a tremendous loss. Uh, we're still seeing if Bennett Williams is going to be able to come back. That hasn't been ruled out just yet. Um, but gosh, it's just, I feel like we're not going to see, you know, the, the full picture of this defense this year with, with the way things are tracking. Steve Stevens was also ruled out last night. So we're trying to see if he's going to maybe be available again this year. That'll probably be an update that we look for this week in the, in the press conferences, but yeah, I think we I think we hit on you know pretty much the the important stuff as far as just what we can take away from this game, from the on field performance. It was Utah's game from start to finish, uh, offense, defense, special teams. You talk about the blocked the blocked field goal where there was a lapse in fundamental blocking on on Oregon's end, and then the the missed field goal that obviously obviously didn't help. And I mean, some of the the clock management was was a uh, definitely not where it needed to be. Right, you look at the end of that first half, uh, running the ball on third down. And they are shot, stopped short of the sticks. Whittingham calls a, t- a timeout, and then the next play, uh, Britton Covey houses it, and then the Ducks are out, down twenty-eight nothing at halftime. So, if there's nothing else you wanted to say on defense, how about we just shift big picture again, and then kind of focus on that the rest of the pod? Yep, uh, that that sounds good to me. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, big picture, obviously. Oregon's playoff chance, playoff hopes are uh, dashed, you know, evaporated, poof, whatever you want to call it uh, after this game. But there is still something to play for with the, the Pac-12 championship and the Rose Bowl. And I think obviously with, with Oregon State coming to town next week, you uh, you want to get back on track in that rivalry, right? You know, after losing last year, talk about getting physically dominated. Jamar Jefferson just had a field day against the Ducks, just running like crazy. We're uh, – where does this team turn from here? I think that's a, a pretty big question that we can, you know, ask ourselves as we look ahead here, Nick. Yeah, no question. I'm really interested to see see how this team does respond because for most of the year they've responded really well uh, in game and uh, when, whenever they are faced with adversity. But clearly, this last game, you know, they just got demolished. They got dominated, and never really seen a team this a team or really any Mario Cristobal team. Um, face this type of adversity. So I, I really do want to see how they respond. And, you know, it could, I, th- I really think it could go two directions. I think they could, you know, bounce back and, and get back to the kind of football, the brand of football that they were playing, uh, you know, that made them the number three team in the nation. Or they could let this loss to Utah beat them twice. And, you know, then the Pac-12 North, Pac-12 Championship, and the Rose Bowl can all go poof just like that uh to the beavers so you know i really could see this going either way the beavers are a really solid football team they're very physical as well they kind of play a similar brand as utah i mean they and they beat utah uh in corvallis earlier this year so uh, they're a team capable of, of beating the ducks especially uh with all these injuries oregon has racked up um this past week so it's going to be a tough game 
and Oregon needs to win this game. Uh, we can just go through the scenarios real quick to win the Pac-12 North. If they lose, they cannot win the Pac-12 North because uh, if they win, they're in the Pac-12 title game against Utah. If they lose, it's either Oregon State or if Washington State beats Washington on Friday this week, then the Cougars would go or to be able to beat the Ducks. So, you know, everything's at stake this Saturday, and Oregon better be ready to play or else, you know, they'll be – End up ending up in San Antonio for the Alamo Bowl or something like that. Yeah, I think that just the way that things have shaken out here in the Pac-12 and, and with Oregon, it's just it shows you why. When we were asking people, people were asking questions. I personally didn't ask any questions about the playoff, but when the rankings came out, the players, Mario, they were getting asked about the playoffs, and this is why all their responses were just. We're focused on one and we're focused on this week and the task at hand because you see what 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 can happen uh, if you if you don't focus on you know what's happening uh, you know right in front of you in this game. I'm not saying that that was what was happening for Oregon, but clearly they weren't locked in mentally, and that's why we saw a lot of lapses in um, you know just discipline and execution. But um, the the Pac-12 is far from locked up for Oregon, and I think when you talk about kind of seeing it going one of two ways, I think a cool point to add onto that. I'm not saying that this is a parallel by any means to the 2016 season. So maybe I'm just, but just bear with me here. So that 2016 season was horrendous, right? But a lot of those guys by the, that were on that team, by the time they graduated in, in 19, you look at guys like Herbert and most of that offensive line, they saw what it meant to, to stick it out and to get through the tough times and how ultimately they grew from that. And I think that this year, they're not poised to lose a lot of guys, at least not on offense. I'm thinking, obviously you're looking at CJ Verdell. He's probably going to be gone. Brown's going to be gone. And then we have to see what's going on with Devin Williams, but there are a lot of young guys on this team, Nick. So it's going to be big for them when they're looking back on their Oregon careers. I feel like, you know, remember when we had to kind of, we had this bump in the road, losing, losing to Utah and, and, you know, playoffs going out the window. How are they going to respond now? How, how they respond now is going to be huge for, obviously how the rest of the season goes, but you know, you think about momentum going into next year. I think that's what's so crazy is that it feels like the season just started. I feel, I mean, in my mind, like it feels like we were just in Columbus at that Ohio state game. And now we're having a very different conversation here as the regular season winds down. Yeah. It's crazy how college football works, right? You know, just one game can uh, totally change a season, your expectations, everything about it. Um, and in this case, you know, uh, it, it's going to be a real test for Mara Cristobal's culture that he's built in Eugene and, uh, you know, how these new players have uh, bought into that, these young players, um, you know, and, and see, it, it's going it's to be a really interesting test for the Ducks, uh, you know, both the Beavers pose and uh, just mentally themselves of, of how well they can lock back in and, uh, you know, wipe this, this one off and move forward because you know as we keep saying there's a lot at stake still and um it'd be a shame for them to uh to let this game beat them twice i think back to what mario cristobal was saying in that post-game presser last night uh saturday night against utah saying that you know we've we've been faced with a lot of adversity and we've responded pretty well throughout the season you know this team's shown a lot of resiliency but Obviously, that's that's something that you want, but I think this game was an example of 
if you can't start fast, you're putting yourself in a hole from the jump. It's it's good to have resiliency, obviously, and, and to be able to battle back. And, and we've seen that a couple times this year, obviously, with some really strong performances in the second half. But Nick, I mean, for the longest time, it feels like this team hasn't hasn't been a fast starting team. And I, I don't really know what you have to do to fix that. You know, it was like, is it playing with a more of a sense of urgency? Is it having more aggressive play calling? It just feels like that's kind of a big picture issue that has, you know, kind of been here all year. I can think of what maybe the, the UCLA, no, not the UCLA game, the, the Colorado game that they started fast in. That's like the most vivid example, I think, but this team starting fast hasn't really been, hasn't really been in their, uh, you know, their DNA this year. What do you think? Yeah, well, it's interesting. On the road, they have not started well, period. Uh, Ohio State game is probably the best example where they did start pretty well. But, you know, the UCLA game, they got down 14 nothing. Stanford game, that first half was terrible. Um, the UW game, you know, they went down 7 nothing early. And then, of course, this past game uh, in Salt Lake City, they never really, you know, started well at all. So on the road, yes, that's definitely a reoccurring problem. At home, though, I really feel like they have started pretty well. They got up really early uh, to Arizona. Uh, I think, you know, they went up 10 nothing, 14 nothing, real quick in that one. The Like you mentioned, the Colorado game. And just this past week, the Washington State game, they got up 14 nothing pretty early as well. So... I think at home with the crowd, it hasn't been nearly as, as big of an issue, but on the road, it's been a real big issue. So that's just been kind of something I've picked up on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. No, I'm, thanks for catching me there. Um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, obviously you gotta, you gotta be able to show up on the road as well. Um, but I feel like they've obviously finished some games on the road pretty strong this year. Um, so maybe, I don't know, maybe my point about the strong starts isn't as isn't exactly what I thought it was. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of, of any other points that we can kind of touch on in this podcast. I mean, the if we want to talk about the Pac-12 picture, Ohio State obviously jumped Oregon yesterday. And I don't even know if that's worth mentioning because they're, the Ducks lost, so the playoffs are out the picture, um, out the window. Um Maybe just any final thoughts on this game this season. I mean, I'm sure we'll be we'll be hearing from you about preview content uh, for the Beavers, you know, throughout the week. But what what uh anything else that you kind of wanted to add here before we get out of here? Yeah, maybe just looking towards the Beaver game real quick. You know, the Beavers are another team that really prides itself on running the football, and uh, you know, that's something. Before this week, I'd be pretty confident about the Ducks being able to stop pretty well. But after this game and uh, looking back at how last season's game went against the Beavers, Oregon maybe gives me a little bit more cause for concern that I, than I would have uh, prior to this week. So um, that's something to definitely keep an eye on uh, as this week uh, week's game gets closer. And, you know, for Oregon – I'd like to see them get back to the identity of running the football with uh, Travis Dye, with Byron Cardwell, and if he's healthy with Anthony Brown as well, because you know, that's their clear DNA, and they got away uh, from it in the Utah game. And maybe that's partly because of just the circumstances, but also that's maybe why they didn't uh, make it more respectable of a loss even. So that's kind of what I'd 
maybe look for uh, going into this um, rivalry matchup this weekend? The Oregon rushing defense looked like it had really turned a corner this year. They were the top run defense in the Pac-12 heading into that game against Utah. Didn't resemble any of that Saturday night. So they got another – the Bees have some some really good running backs. You know, you, you think about um, B.J. Taylor. Um, I think yeah, that's his name, right? B.J. Taylor, the – or BJ Baylor. I think BJ Baylor is his name um, with uh, the Beavs and he's going to be coming to town. That's you're going to have to to scheme for him. So we'll see what BJ Baylor brings to the table as far as, you know, game plan for the ducks, but that'll be a, a big opportunity for them to, you know, build that culture, uh, show that they can respond uh, again. You know, they've responded in game a lot, but we didn't see that last night. How are they going to bounce back from that loss is obviously one of the biggest questions on everybody's mind. Um, as we wind down here on the Ducks Dish podcast, we are trying to do uh, some more mailbag uh, questions on the podcast, trying to do it a little bit more often. So uh, we'll be putting out calls to action on uh, Twitter, just you know, sending in your questions. Um, this show is, is for the fans, right? So we want to we wanna take your guys' uh, thoughts and opinions into account here when we're guiding the show. Nick, before we bounce out of here, where can people find more of you and your work? You can find me on Twitter at NickBat22. That's at N-I-C-K-B-A-T-22. And you can find my work on Ducks Digest. Awesome stuff. You can find me on Twitter at MTaurus Sports. Also go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Oregon Football Max Taurus. Um, we're doing more live streams over there where we also field questions, live discussion. Um, it's really some fun stuff over there, trying to do more of that. Um, and then you can obviously find all of our stuff on ducksdigest.com and we're ducks digest on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. Thank you guys so much for tuning into another episode of the ducks dish podcast. Take care and we'll see you in the next episode. This is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer. He hears things differently to the untrained ear. Everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.